Hello and welcome to the Policy Innovation Podcast, the place you can listen to people from mums and former prime ministers to startup founders and scientists share their experiences and ideas for innovating policy to build a better world. Today, we'll be talking with two councillors from different political parties and areas about what a council is, what councillors do, and about what innovative policy ideas they have. After talking with them, I was surprised by how open they were to collaboration, particularly in context of the divide and discord we read and hear about every day in the news. First up, we have... I'm Councillor Hamera Ali, uh, and I'm a Liberal Democrat councillor in the London Borough of Southwark, uh, in the ward of London Bridge in West Bermondsey. Humera tells us a little bit about her area and role at the council. I have um, some famous landmarks in my ward, including City Hall. It's where Tower Bridge and London Bridge uh, meets Southwark. And, uh, you know, we also have the Shard. Um, But of course, being an inner London borough, we have many, many challenges as we have a broad demographic range uh, from some of the wealthiest to some of the poorest. We have some of the most in, in Southwark, we have some of the most diverse communities. We have the largest African population in the country. Uh, and the second largest LGBT community in the country. Um, And I am uh, the opposition spokesperson for equality, diversity and communities uh, and also digital inclusion. Um, But we're about to go through a little cabinet reshuffle. So I will be in the future taking on a portfolio around business, jobs and skills. Next up, we have Graham Howe, councillor for Wokingham Borough Council. I sit on the Conservative uh, benches, which is the... uh, majority party and uh, very clever uh, uh, casting here Nathan because Wokingham in many ways is the opposite of Southwark because we are a leafy suburb and we are happy to boast that uh, constantly comes in the top 10 of one of the most preferred places to live. My portfolio uh, for the last uh, couple of years has been as deputy lead for children's services. For those of you listening from outside the UK, recently there were local council elections across the country. So I wanted to ask the two councillors today, just what is a council and what do people expect from the council? Well, I think there's two different questions, isn't there? There's what is a council and what do people perceive a council to be? Um, And I'm sure that across the whole of the country, uh, there are very different answers to that. What a council is, though, is to represent the best interests of the residents. And that's regardless of political colour. And um, Southwark is quite different in demography to Wokingham, for example. And I'm sure that we will find that we have different requirements for our residents uh, because of that. What a council is there to do is uh, a number of statutory functions that are imposed on it by central government, but then also we as elected members, uh, our job is to get other services going for our our residents. So as well as the health and wealth uh, aspects, there's community projects, there's uh, cultural projects, and other things. And it's great fun to get involved in all of these. And uh, then there's the usual portfolios of highways and education and other stuff. Um, what, what do residents perceive we do? 
well, we're kind of responsible for everything, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> from every pothole uh, to everything that goes wrong. And in Wargrave, where I uh, uh, live, the heli police helicopter was over. And on Thursday, on the election day, I was told off for having the helicopter come over at 6am and wake us up. Turns out Graham isn't the only councillor with a helicopter problem. By the way, we have a helicopter challenge as well over the Shad Thames as, as uh, many helicopters come over because they want to have a look at the Shard and, and cause all sorts of disruption for residents. But um, I think it's important to say, actually, it's, um, we are the fact that we have to ask a question to explain to listeners what the role of a council is shows that there's an endemic issue that we do not educate, you know, from a young age about democracy, about activism, about how people can take part in their communities. I mean, local councils are probably one of the most sort of devolved parts of our democracy. I appreciate sub to that. There are town councils as well and parish councils. But ultimately, that's sort of um, in London, that is uh, mainly the, the lowest form of, of governance within um, a particular geographic area. Um, and they do have delegated powers by law to do some of the things that, that, that Graham mentioned. I think the challenge um, is that so many people are often disengaged because they don't understand what it does. So you can talk to people about parliament and you can talk to them about the prime minister in general elections and people will engage with that because they understand this is people who run the country. But beneath that, whether it is uh, devolved administrations in Wales and Scotland, whether it's county councils or local councils, there's, there's an increasing level of disengagement and voter turnout tends to be low. So um, from my perspective, the fact that we have to explain what the role of councillors and councils do, uh, there is something systemically that needs to change. And I think I would also add at that point that from my, perce my perception as a Liberal Democrat, you know, we really passionately believe about devolving decision making into the lowest practical position. So back to the individual rather than from, from the perspective of the state. Um, and the problem we have is, is that over the last 40, 50 years, it feels like things have been slowly pulled away from local authorities back centrally. Um, so the power that a council has and the power that councillors have, I believe, has slowly diminished over time as well. Saying that, I do think that councillors um, have a really, um, are a real force for good. And during this pandemic, um, people have naturally reached for leadership in communities, um, whether it is setting up mutual aid groups because uh, they needed uh, people to make sure that nobody went hungry, that people were actually had a roof over their head, public health matters were taken care of. Um, and actually, when councillors stepped up, as many did across the country, people found a newfound appreciation for what it meant to be a councillor. So I thought I'd, I'll just supplement, you know, Graham's uh, you know, facts with, with some of some of that embellishment. And I'll just finish that piece by saying some of the things that people said to me when they first got engaged during COVID uh, were things like, um, so are you a psychotherapist? Do, will you help me with my issues? Now, there's, there's a joke. We are not those types of counsellors. <laughs> you know, we're governance type counsellors. However, sometimes the role can be that way too. So it sounds like COVID has given councils new purpose and that we really should be learning about them from a younger age. It also seems we can easily get mixed up between national and local politics, something our councillors want to avoid. One of our MPs is the Prime Minister, ex-Prime Minister, Theresa May. And uh, when I was offered 
for her to come canvassing with me in my local village uh, back in 2018. The reason I declined the offer is because what it would do is switch the conversation to a national level. And that would have detracted from what Humira and I are trying to do as local councillors. And really, I'm sure that this would be true of many councillors. We represent our ward first, then the council as a whole next. That's what we want the good for. And then our party. And what the local party wants isn't necessarily what the national party wants. And I'm sure that that's true across all of the colours. Uh, but as uh, you just said, I mean, it was fantastic to see that sense of community during the pandemic, which what pleased me about it was rather than have these rather fixed dividing walls between the political parties, a lot of us were doing the same thing. So there is a lot of grey area or common interest, whichever way you want to phrase it, in what we want to achieve. And I'm rather hoping that looking forward as we start having the meetings in person and so forth again, that we can have a more collaborative than adversarial uh, uh, engagement going forwards. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you about um, collaborative engagement. I mean, it was a very interesting experience. So Southwark has been heavily politicised for many years. Uh, it has had that sort of Labour Liberal Democrat split for the last 40 years. So, so some of that collaborative working was a little bit of a challenge. But, but this is 2021 and people are fed up of mudslinging and people are absolutely fed up of that, that narrative. Uh, they don't want to hear people arguing. They want to say, actually, what can we do together as communities? And, and, and like you, Graham, I really heard that loud and clear during the last year. And what was great was working side by side with people of no political persuasion, people who are, you know, I've got the co-chair of the Southwark Green Party in my ward, and she's absolutely brilliant, absolutely fantastic, and made so many connections with, with people of other parties, such as Renew, uh, people who were in what was called the Brexit Party, I'm not sure what they're called now, but at the end of the day, citizens in a local area, citizens in neighbourhoods care about where they live, and. Um, and if we can do something collaboratively, no matter what you are, I think that's the direction for me personally, for politics in the 21st century. I feel, though, that we are being tragically hindered by a very negative national narrative. And, 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 and just to kind of highlight some of the potential differences between where you are, Graham, and where I am, inner city London is so expensive now that we have such a high rate of transience Within one year, 40% of people have moved in and out of a particular area. It makes it almost impossible to build regular relationships. And people ask the questions of how do you establish or how do you maintain communities when there is such a big chunk of people moving in and out? And, and that, unfortunately, is driven by what I would deem as very poor national policy over the last 40, 50 years uh, that we're in that situation now. That's, that's very interesting to hear because that is a thought that would never have crossed my mind until you just mentioned it because I simply don't see it, uh, it within Wokingham. And I understand your point completely and, and that must be true across um, other cities too. But I think perhaps particularly London and um, it does then draw lines, doesn't it, between 
what is good for one area isn't necessarily good for the other, which gets back to the point that you're talking about, which is devolved power. But the challenge going forward is going to be very interesting. I think Richie Sunak has had a wonderful job uh, being able to, on a Tory ticket, outspend what Labour's highest ambitions could have been. Um, but at some point or another, it's got to be paid for. And how we move forward and address those uh, systemic issues that uh, you're pointing out, which are going to cost money. And then is the money going to be spent from the centre and the policy from the centre, or is it truly going to be devolved? And in that respect, whilst I have no qualm at all about saying I, I think it would be a crying shame if Scotland devolved separately, uh, one can kind of understand the point that they're making if they have they feel that they're under the same sufferance. So we do have um, very different um, outlooks to cope with. So I, I'm sure that within Wokingham, nobody would be thinking about that particular point. No, absolutely. And, you know, you make a really good point about how where people live is, is where you have that lens on the world. Um, and it's sometimes really hard to anticipate or imagine that people might have the same issues as you in a different way, or that the landscape could be so dramatically different. And as you say about Scotland or anything else, I mean, I, you know, as a liberal, I really do believe in devolution because different areas have different challenges and they need funding and support to be able to do that. On a positive note, COVID has enabled people to not only work remotely, but to really reassess their lives and think about doing things in a different way. Is this the moment where that levelling up agenda, which quite frankly at the moment to me is a bit of a bit of a mask, but there's an opportunity to do a real levelling up agenda that you could distribute people and wealth back across the country? Well, I, I think that really you, you made the point early on, it's about education. They always say, whilst I was very poor at history at school, you can learn so much from history. And we are not doing it. And it's a question really of getting our priorities right and understanding what the baselines are. And uh, I think I have no disagreement at all with you in terms of getting that education so that we can get this mutual appreciation and therefore you can have the mobility between areas because then people will understand what they're walking away from and what they're walking to. And it's about, for me, it shouldn't be about independence or even being dependent because that's been a lot of the polarisation in politics from as far back as I can remember in the 60s. Um, the wealthy areas supporting the non-wealthy areas. What we need to move forward to create is an interdependence because some areas can do provide certain things and other areas uh, provide different things. But one has to recognise yourself, and I mean that as a collective, uh, uh, and then recognise what others uh, do. And I think that this is the true essence of what our moral uh, job is as counsellors, to try and promote that. And then we can properly use words like respect, 
But until we've actually got some recognition of who and what we are and who and what others are, that's very difficult to achieve because we're working on random details and random information that has been collected or even pervaded by the media who, uh, you know, we know have been shocking over the last five or ten years because they're under pressure to produce instant news and then they often get it wrong. Uh, and then, but in the meantime, the damage is done because the population now believes it because the BBC said it's right or Peston said it was right on ITV. It doesn't matter. Uh, so I think that it is a good opportunity to uh, press that button. And also with working over the internet and things like that, I mean, the younger generations have been doing it with Facebook and such like, there are lessons that we can learn there, positive lessons, how training has been done over the last 12 months, how education at schools has been done, and how that could be perhaps harnessed for adults too. So I, it would be very interesting to try and get some sort of cross-party group together uh, to agree with that um, ambition to get education going, cultural education going, but have it done in a way where it's not politicised. It's a huge challenge. So, you know, I don't think you'll get any disagreement from, from me uh, or, or many councillors about, you know, cross-party working um, to enable something better. But the system isn't necessarily set up to support that because politics does get drawn into the business of running a council and trying to do the best by your people. Um, in fact, in, on a personal level, I just think political parties in their current format are just so outdated. You know, the value sets from 100 years ago just, you know, have all sort of merged and splurged, and yet we're still sort of wearing coloured hats. You know, during the last year, some of my constituents who have had a fantastic one-on-one -on -one conversations with have been, you know, from the far left all the way through to, you know, people who just think politics is a waste of time. And, um, you know, when you sit down and, and understand what are the things that matter to them, I think people who live in an area, generally the similar things matter to each other. And, and the way you want to tackle those problems are often not too dissimilar either. So, you know, coming back to the topic of local councils and, and the things that we provide for people or engage with people to provide in their communities, people be very happy to engage as long as things don't become a political bargaining chip. Um, now, where I am, as I said, Southwark is quite heavily politicised. So the minute a politician shows up at your door, people's first reaction is, oh, a politician. And, um, you know, I'll just give you a few examples. So we've been allowed to knock on doors again. The whole point of us knocking on doors is to seek people's views. But of course, that process kind of partly got missed because of COVID and we weren't able to talk to people in that way. You don't have everyone's phone numbers. And the minute they see you on the door, other than the people who know you really well and are really happy to see, you know, a human being that they recognise again, it's like, oh, you're from the Liberal Democrats. Oh, you're from the Labour Party. And we kind of took a... a a decision that actually what's more important to us is to ask how people are and the minute you saw the shoulders relax and people start to talk about the issues you realize these are the same issues that people have been talking about and we need to hear about 
And when you talk to them about how do they want, you know, what are their thoughts in terms of how we go about fixing those or what they want to see differently, there isn't a single person who didn't come up with, I wish you would work more collaboratively with this group, or actually, I wish we could just take the politics out of it, or if it wasn't for such and such politician, we could have done something differently, or none of you politicians listen, none of you politicians are actually you know you make all the promises but when it comes to delivery um, and we've just gone through such a populist era of politics that i think that hurts as well so if there was a way for us nationally to have the conversation about running local councils in a different way and potentially depoliticizing i think that would be a huge step forward for us because there are so many opportunities so many things that we would want to do locally i agree with you that's probably what many many people think but it ain't being done. And, um, you know, perhaps what we should be doing in Southwark, in Wokingham, and, uh, you know, as many of our colleagues that we can uh, persuade across the piste um, is to get this into consciousness of councillors where we are, because uh, it's all very fine for us to talk about it and... Uh, we're not going to wait for Ev Davy or Boris or, or, or Keir Starmer, if he survives, um, lead the way on this. They've got their own agendas. Um, we, we really, this is a ground up uh, 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 initiative and um, politics tends to be top down. This is an opportunity because uh, of COVID and using the internet and things like that, where we can do this one-to-many broadcasting Whereas it used to be just the privilege of the few at the top who happened to have their interviews with Sir Robin Day. And that was how you got the one to many. Now we've got uh, the opportunities the other way round. But it is very wrong, though. The, the system wastes so much time with this uh, unnecessary politicking. And that's something that. I think the politicians nationally do have the power to change. Talking about depoliticizing politics, I thought it was interesting that the United States was founded without political parties. That came later. So I wanted to ask the councillors if removing political parties could be one policy innovation at the council. So political parties are part of the problem, but I think actually money is another part of the problem and funding. Um, because at the end of the day, the people who get, you know, there's, there's, let's call it establishment. Okay. Maybe it's not the right word, but you have the people who fund you also, and, and they're going to fund their agenda. Then you've got communication channels. So you have the standard media, you know, channels, which sorry, but some of those are quite in bed with some political parties ever. And then you have the political party structure itself. Um, you know, the first two are something that is over a thousand. In fact, it's, it's human nature, isn't it? If you are in, in a position of power, how do you influence? That is something which definitely, you know, I'm not an expert, but if there was a way to unpick and, and, and make some changes in that space would, would definitely open not just uh, politics, but open up democracy. From a political party perspective, some innovation, absolutely. What are the modern ways for people to work together and have political parties in their current format really outlived their lifespan? I mean, um, you know, if you arrange yourself in a different way, then you're another group again. And do you become tribal in that new group is a question. 
uh, is this about not having groups in that way, but you know, making people a series of independents? Well, how then can you afford to get messaging out? And and you know, one of the bigger problems in in politics is accessibility. So if democracy is about representation of the people, and that anybody can represent a group of people. Why is it then that we generally have the wealthiest people or people who've got the most time on their hands who are able to take up positions being councillors or MPs or whatever else? If you're really in a household where you, your job is taking up all of your time or your two jobs or three jobs and you're, you're struggling to raise your family, what hope is there about having you participate in the community? So I really would welcome innovation in this space to say, what is a different set of models that could be used in terms of the administration of an area versus the participation of various people and various groups and demographics. Um, and, you know, there, there are many interesting things that are done in different parts of the world, but you're still, you know, your base unit is still the political party. So, you know, for me, there's a real question. I don't have the answers, but I know that I, like many of my community, are really open to working with whoever will come together and have a diverse range of opinions as well. So it's not just echo chambers of people in one place. And that's not how people work. Actually getting the diverse views in your community helps you to come up with a solution that works for the majority. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, of course. Um, but I, I, I think it will happen by evolution, not by revolution. Uh, we have to, as Humira was pointing out, be extremely careful that you know we are told that the rich are getting richer and the poor proportionally getting poorer that the power uh, of the rich does not dictate what happens because of the thing being driven by money but in any change that you want to make you take the emergence of any of the uh, parties you know, when the Labour Party first started out, it was the party of the workers and had quite a different ethos then to what it does now. Uh, and, and that's part of its problem today. But it was funded by the unions. And, and, and that was fine at that time for the purpose that it had. Um, the Greens are starting to get a foothold now. But actually, the Greens are not exclusively green. The Liberal Democrats are very green. The Tories have got a green agenda. Labour's got a green agenda. But uh, we have to be careful here that um, the minorities that are important are not outspent and outpowered. And there's an old uh, saying, isn't there? Structure determines behaviour. So it then gets back to the structural question that we were discussing earlier. And then I think the other side of it is we're not using the tools yet to our advantage as political parties. Um, the tools people have said over the last year, isn't this all new? We can talk to each other over the internet as indeed we are right now. Actually, it's not. So whilst the general population has caught on to Teams and Zoom and whatever other mediums they're using today. We should now harness that momentum and collect the data. You know, there's still, I, here in Wokingham, I was hearing time and again at uh, the Tory meetings, we've got to be out door knocking. Actually, 
I could hear most of the stuff through Facebook and just by watching uh, the traffic that was happening electronically. I didn't have to go door knocking. That was those with old-fashioned hats on. And they're the ones that are going to have to be persuaded that we can collect this data. And if we collect the data and do it scientifically and properly, and, you know, marketing companies have been doing this for some time now, the political parties need to do a bit of a catch-up. There are lessons still to be learned. So I think we have to continue momentum. We need to continue to look at innovation. We need to change some of this old thinking. uh, And then we will start getting advantage out of it. Otherwise, we're in in danger of, oh, well, the the young people will bring in the new stuff. We'll use that for a little while. And then it goes back to the old ways again. We've, we've got to move forward from where we are today and take advantage of what's happened during COVID. Yeah, I absolutely agree with, you know, that was a moment in time, a unique moment in time, which has helped catapult us forward, for sure. I would, though, say one thing in that story. It has to be evolution, simply because, um, certainly where I live, huge numbers of people are digitally and financially excluded. Um, I'm also very conscious that on all the Facebook groups, next door groups and other electronic groups that I'm a part of to hear what people are saying, that's often a core group of people. Um, And so I will always say that door knocking is still one of uh, many tools that politicians would use to hear from their electorates, um, irrespective of whether we're in those bounds of a political party or if we're all independents or whatever that future state could look like because there is no substitute for a face-to-face conversation where often people find that a more comfortable way to to be open about what they really think and what's really important to them. There's an opportunity here, isn't there, for councillors um, to do what uh, part of the question that Nathan posed. Um, and for councillors, you know, uh, if we go back to the opening question, what is a council, what do we do, and what are we perceived to do? is the opportunity for us to be innovative in our thinking. And the full interpretation of the word innovative, not just applying it to technology, which is the limited use that's often applied. So uh, I think that we're, whilst there are these issues that uh, people are tired of, um, it is a great opportunity for us to try and harness some new ways of doing things. And um, it'll be interesting to look across the country as to how many of other conversations are going on like this and what really happens. So I rather hope that we can speed things up in the same way that the industrial revolution, there should be a, we've talked about evolution. There was an industrial revolution Perhaps there could be a political revolution, but by the use of innovation. At which point I wanted to ask the councillors if they could pick one policy innovation at the council or of the system, what would it be? If democracy is about hearing from people and making sure that we take care of people and take care of our broader society, then what are the modern ways that we need to achieve that goal? You know, my my big piece here is how do we influence the nature of our neighbourhoods in a way that is accessible 
to all the people who want to access it or, or need to access it at a point in time. So it's not about imposing it on everyone. Hey, like, you know, here's yet another survey. And this is not about centralization of power. What's that, what's that right place to do it? And what's the best 21st century way to do it? And for me, and, and for me personally, that's about actually reassessing our political system from the top down. So sorry, it's it's a it's a big thing, um, but in its simplest form, you know, how do you uh, how do you get people in a local context to become engaged? It's a bit passe uh, to say communication, but I think that it's communication in depth. I think it's about getting at that silent majority. It's about waking them up or giving them a comfortable environment in which they can make comment with confidence because then uh, we will get less polarised views. It doesn't matter if Humera makes a comment on Facebook, there will be those there that are sitting there on their sofas that have got too much time and will just pick arguments with it for the sake of it because they're opposed to everything that she does. And the same will happen with me and whatever political colour you are. And it's wasteful. The people that we want to hear are the people that we're not hearing today. And so if I was to try and pick something up, and I might find that, you know, there is a... I'm a, My opposition is actually very right in what they're thinking. I just hadn't heard it. I'm only hearing the people that are on my side of the political fence because their job is to oppose what the opposition says in any event. So there's a lot of things that we're missing. So when I say communication, it's with those uh, qualifications, if you like, that we get uh, to those people that we're not hearing today. And um, that, that means take advantage of the changes that have particularly been made in the last year. Now, in my area, uh, that might be a lot easier than it is in Humeras because most of my area is broadband connected and that, that gives us a, a much easier vehicle to, to do it. So that's going to be uh, quite a challenge across the whole country. I recognize that. Cool. Thank you both for the discussion today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank uh, both of you for the opportunity to have the discussion. And it's nice to have the discussion in uh, cool and considered uh, uh, fashion. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Nathan. And it's really nice to meet you, Graham. I mean, you know, we live in different sort of circumstances and demographics, but it's really nice to compare notes um, and to hear some of the different challenges. Um, but at the end of the day, as councillors, I suspect we're all here for similar reasons. And, you know, we have a great passion for our communities and, you know, we don't really get paid to do it. <laughs> but we do it because we really want to enable the voices of the people where we live and we want to advocate for them. You know, to Graham's point about making sure that we really go after the people we don't hear. We, we, we want to advocate for people to give them that level playing field and that level platform to help them have better lives. Thanks for listening. Next time, we'll be speaking with Kabine Kumara, former Prime Minister of Guinea. So please do follow this podcast to stay up to date.